It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? Or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. This is Sarah Holland from the left and Beth Silvers from the right. And first things first, we're both sick, y'all. I don't know what happened. I guess the news of the weekend and the Republican debate, it just was all our immune systems could take. (laughs) So we're sorry. We're really, really sorry about our voices. But we couldn't take the week off. There's just too much to talk about. So somebody put Shonda Rhimes in charge of the world. So clearly we're going to be talking about the crazy news and the debates um, and the SCOTUS updates in the pearls. And then in the suit, we had a really great idea from one of our listeners to talk about why we are Democrats or why we are Republicans and kind of our individual perspectives. 
And then in the heels, we're going to talk about women in the political media who inspire us. So if you can stick with us through the nasal congestion, it should be a great episode. (laughs) Well, there's certainly a lot to talk about. So we'll just dive right into the debates. Um, Sarah, how did you feel? It feels like 100 years ago, this Democratic debate, but we still have to talk about it. Yeah. So we've had two debates since our last episode. We have. Dang. Um, The Democratic debate, I thought Hillary was on point and not just because her jacket was fly and her makeup looked really good. Um, I thought she did really good. And it was really funny. I told somebody that the yellow jacket, yellow is her favorite color. And so when I saw her in that jacket, I thought, oh, girlfriend came to play. Like, I get it. Okay. And I think that from my perspective, there was just a lot of Bernie finger wagging. And a lot of my friends who were on the fence were just kind of like, I'm so tired of him saying the same thing over and over again. Kind of the going all the way going back to the economic inequality. Um, Not that I don't think economic inequality is wildly important, but, you know, he just he starts to just go to that, go to that. And you really liked her sort of closing remark. Well, I thought she very well articulated um, her message for the first time, in my view. Mm -hmm. I thought the debate overall was very much a repetition of things we've heard from both of them before. It was a little low, low energy. They actually both had colds, just like we do. It was low energy until the end. And then I have to know if you know what set her off. You could see this moment where her demeanor changed. I I don't know what he said, but I feel like something from him really riled her up. And that's where she thought, you know, I'm going to take him on about his comments on President Obama. And I know that strategically she's been, you know, let me hug Obama particularly going into the South. And, and so I get that that was a part of the strategy anyway. But I felt like there was just a real shift in in her whole presence toward the end to the point where um, the moderators, who I thought were fantastic, I yeah. enjoyed the debate more for the moderators than anything else, um, Judy Woodward and Gwen Eiffel. But the moderators lob up this softball of tell me someone from the United States and someone from another country who, you know, you would admire or seek advice from. And, it, and I thought that it gave both of them a chance to end the debate on a real high note. And she was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go back to how nasty Bernie's been about President Obama. Yeah, it was. I don't know why she took that. I wanted her to say, she talked, she said Mandela really quickly, but I wanted her to say a woman. And I was like, come on, this is your time. Do this. Like, there's too few of examples, but here's female leadership I really love. Like, this is your, like, a totally softball. I wish she'd gone with it instead of going back to that. But I don't think it was, like, detrimental at all. Do you know what what riled her up so much? I mean, I guess first, do you agree with me that something triggered that? Because I just felt like she became really different. And, and it got him all testy, too. And so the debate sort of, the very benign debate to that point, I felt like ended with, you know, these kind of two cranky folks. <laughs> Yeah, and they, he, he was just so much finger wagging on his on his behalf, and but I did like how she ended with the the line of, you know, I'm not a this is not a, I'm not a single issue candidate, and this is not a single issue country. I thought that was really strong. I know that it was that very con- good connected with you, and so I thought she ended on a high note, and it seemed to me like, you know, I, it's so hard for me. I don't know if I'm in a bubble. We have so many great listeners though who are Bernie supporters, so I don't feel like I'm totally like just reading people who say what I want to hear. But um, I felt like m- many in, in the media felt like she 
put in a strong performance. I'll tell you one thing. It was night and day from the GOP debate. (laughs) Well, now that's true. Um, The GOP debate, I think, um, you know, this whole race has felt like it's been orchestrated by like the WWE and this debate just took that to a new place. And, and, you know, it's going to be wild because it's South Carolina and the GOP has an unfortunate history of ugliness in South Carolina. But then even more than that, you know, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz are one and two in all the polls. And so, you know, sort of what do you expect? And I've said before, I think Ted Cruz is going to win South Carolina. Um, I don't think there's much to be done about that. I hope that I'm wrong, but I, I don't think that I am. I don't, think this debate probably moved anyone except that and and this is where my bias starts to show through I, I thought it was a strong performance for Jeb now I, I think it had moments that were bad for him too but mm-hmm. but overall I thought he looked a little bit more like you know what I don't care I'm just gonna do my thing for most of the debate instead of the micromanaged candidate that he's been throughout the process so I was happy to see that I don't know. I think that, well, I came in in the last sort of half hour, but was following along with Twitter with several of our awesome, awesome Twitter follow- listeners. And we just, we have, a, we have formed this great little Twitter debate watching crowd. And I just thought, I thought some of your points about this is just detrimental to the party. Like they were just Rubio with them. Um, and the marriage is between one man and one woman and just the excessive um, pro-life stances. I mean, when Donald Trump is the reasonable one saying, hey, Planned Parenthood does great things for women's health. They're just bad on abortion. I was like, what is where am I? What is going on? Yeah, no, absolutely no one watched that debate and thought, I think I'd like to be a Republican. I mean, that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, it's so true. And, and I don't know, you know. Rubio and Cruz had this very weird exchange about whether or not Rubio speaks Spanish. And I mean, it's, I just think overall that someone needs to like, like drop the floor and let all these guys just fall under Uh. it and then like have the stage reset and be like, we're going to start this over again. We were just kidding. That was just saying, we're just kidding. We're going to start over. I'm telling you, it's just one other way in which I feel like Shonda Rhimes is running this our political scene right now and it's just like let's see what'll be more interesting let's do this well speaking of um, oh my gosh so can i just set the scene though so you text me on saturday (laughs) you text me and you say i have the text message pulled up (laughs) you said whoa scalia and in my mind i'm like oh no what did he say this time i text you back (laughs) what and you say he died and i'm so flabbergasted i'm driving so i have to call you and i'm like what do you mean he died you're like no no he died unbelievable unbelievable it, i mean it's just the timing of it the fact that it was justice scalia i mean there's so many things about this that i mean the, the only thing that i've been able to say is that you just can't overstate the significance here this Mm-mm. is a really big deal to have Mm-mm. a supreme court opening um, in the midst of a presidential cycle, the most conservative justice on the court in 
I don't know, three decades, mm-hmm. um, arguably in the court's history in some ways, it's a really big deal. And I guess, so So we should set the scene because I, I'm sure that other people had things to do this weekend besides live in this. <laughs> I, I clearly did not. Um, I mean, we I went out for Valentine's Day with my husband on Saturday night and he was like, you have to put your phone down. You're not going to figure out the Scalia thing on our Valentine's Day date. And I'm like, I don't know, I might. <laughs> this next late article might really crack the code. Well, so within hours, and this, I just want to say first how disgusted I am with everyone, Mm. because the man was dead for hours, and both Democrats and Republicans were so, it was just such a feeding frenzy. Mm. You know, there were people celebrating his death on Twitter, and that made me sick. I understand that Scalia is extremely controversial. He's also Supreme Court Justice. And somebody who I can't imagine the pressure that those people live under. Yeah, um, it, it, that's a hard thing. And and where, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, they are servants of this country. So have a little respect. And then the Republicans, Mitch McConnell, uh, makes a formal statement. That, I've got it right here. I've got it. I've got it pulled up. He said. The American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. What are you talking about? They did have a voice. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Barack Obama's been elected twice by popular vote. It wasn't a fiat. I don't understand. And here's the thing. The American people don't get a voice in Supreme Court nominations other than choosing their elected officials. They don't. The president nominates them advice and consent of the Senate. And advice and consent doesn't mean, oh, I'm totally comfortable with this and I love this person. Like, that's not the, the court is supposed to be above politics. And I think that's what's bothered me so much about this entire discussion is how overt we've become about are you a D or an R? And that's going to determine whether I think you're a good enough legal scholar to hold one of the most important seats in our country. It just, it makes me sick. And I don't mean to be Pollyanna and pretend that this is any different than it's always been. But the fact that we're just so comfortable saying it in these stark partisan terms, I don't know. It just, I just I think it has sad. worse. I mean, listen, that we've all seen... I mean, at least people who have been deep diving into it, like me. Kennedy was nominated during a presidential election year. He got through. He was, I mean, it was near unanimous. He's currently on the court. I think that, you know, the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearing aside, I just feel like for a while it was less political. And recently with the like Alito saying no during President Obama's Supreme Court or uh, State of the Union addresses. And it's just, it has, it's become really... Political. I mean, the idea that, like, he's conservative, so we get another conservative. No, no, no. That's not how it works. This is that the fates deal you the hand you've got when you got a Supreme Court. If you, I, I did read an interesting article that was like, maybe they sh- this should be where we uh, form a deal for term limits, like an 18-year term limit on the Supreme Court, which I thought was sort of interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, I just the idea that he's conservative. And so, and also... You're, that's assuming you're going to get a, a conservative president. What if you get Bernie Sanders? Like, what are you going to do then? Just keep blocking him? Well, and conservative judicially is a different thing than conservative politically. Mm-hmm. And this is, I got really fired up. I got more fired up on reflection about this than I did during the actual debate, probably because my head was just exploding all over the place during the debate, so I couldn't focus. <laughs> but this morning, I was thinking about the fact that we had Donald Trump and Ted Cruz on stage in a debate for the nomination of the Republican Party, criticizing the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court as a disappointment to conservatives. Mm. There was this whole discussion about how John Roberts, and these were the words they used, let us down by upholding Obamacare. Now think for a second about how stunning it is. One, 
for a chief justice to be discussed as though he were an elected official who owes anybody anything. anything. That's the opposite of what justices are supposed to be. And second, that a constitutional scholar like Ted Cruz is talking about this as a disappointment when the definition of judicial conservatism is to go out of your way to uphold legislation that has been duly enacted. John Roberts, in his opinion, and not to get all wonky here, but his opinion about the Affordable Care Act is a conservative opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't care that you don't like the Affordable Care Act. I don't either. I don't like the individual mandate, but a But a judge's job, and I believe this as a conservative, a judge's job is not to say, do I like this or not? It is to say, did the legislature exceed its authority or not? And it is outrageous. Well, and shame on you, Ted Cruz. You are a clerk for William Rehnquist, who somewhere is rolling over in his grave. the The whole thing is just such a disappointment. And I just hope that the people who... I, I watched some focus groups over this weekend, too, because, again, nerd. Um, <laughs> but these focus groups, people were saying, I just love that Ted Cruz knows the Constitution. Well, apparently he only cares about what it says selectively, because somebody yeah. who goes on Meet the Press and says that this election should be a referendum on the Supreme Court, not so concerned about the the third and co-equal branch of our government as the founders intended it. All right, I'm going to stop, but I'm just very upset about this, clearly. Well, and also, can I just say... Thank God Souter's not on the court anymore. They'd have a field day with him because he was appointed. He was appointed by Bush, right? I think that's right. And then became a dependable liberal vote. Pretty dependable. I liked Souter. I was a big fan of him. That's the thing that they're just they're not politicians. And mm-hmm. I really enjoy Kennedy because you don't know where he's going to shake out. And I think yeah, that's, that's true. good. I think that's I think that means that he's approaching each case on his facts on the facts and doing the best he can with it. And that's that's what they're supposed to do. Oh, and also, can I just say speaking of that they the sort of the respect for the court that they all have. You know, I saw when I was in law school, I saw Scalia and Breyer. They used to go around and like sort of do these conversations together and it was phenomenal because they're both well, he was and Breyer is just geniuses they're just geniuses and just to see the way they kind of go back and forth and debate each other and well i know that you think the constitution means it was just really wonderful and you see how much how much respect they had for each other and sort of their respect for the court generally and i saw the story about scalia i saw the stuff has been coming out somebody posted it that it was um one of my good friends from law school, Tyler, who loves our show. Hello, Tyler. Um, and he said he posted this great story, apparently, that Axelrod shared that he that Scalia came up to him and said, I have no illusions that your man will nominate someone who shares my orientation. So I was t- saying this to David Axelrod, an Obama advisor. But I, I hope he sends us someone smart. <laughs> and David Axelrod said, I'm sure he will just to Scalia. And he said he leaned forward as if to share a confidential thought. Let me put a finer point on it, the justice said, in a lower, purposeful tone of voice, his eyes fixed on mine. I hope he sends us Elena Kagan. Oh, I love that story. What a great story. That is that, a great story. Just that they have so much respect for each other. And they're, you know, it's not like Scalia was saying, well, I hope the Senate blocks it until a conservative Supreme Court justice gets in there. He just said, send us someone smart. I know you're going to send someone that, you know aligns more closely with your political beliefs but what matters most to me is that they're a scholar and smart and 
hope they take that story to heart. I don't truthfully see how they can block it for a year. Do you really think that's what's going to happen? I don't know. A year is a long time. It's a really long time. And can you even imagine if the tables were turned and this were a Democratic Senate trying to prevent a Republican president who has 11 months left? I just, I think that this was such a bad call for Mitch McConnell and I don't understand why he did it. And I don't understand all of the people lining up behind him. I don't understand these candidates. I mean, the one thing I'll say for Jeb Bush, hallelujah, he at least said Clearly, Barack Obama has the authority to yeah. nominate someone. He does. Yes, obviously. Under the most basic greeting of the con. I mean, he's still president. He's not not president anymore. I don't understand. It's like you stop being president the second the campaign starts up. What are you even talking what? about? And one of our listeners made the point, he's not a lame duck yet either. Like, yeah. no one's been elected. It's, it's February. I don't uh. know. All right. Well, so South Carolina, your, your girl's up. In yeah. all the polls. Uh, how, how close do you think this is going to be? I guess that's the question. It seems unlikely um, to me that Sanders pulls out a win in South Carolina. No. I think um, it'll I think it'll be... How many days away is it? Oh, is it I the 20th remember. or something? I think the 27th. Hang on just a second. I'll oh, wait. I feel like it's it's earlier than that, isn't it? I could be wrong. I'm scrolling, I, I'm scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling. Uh, the 20th, yeah. Yeah, the 20th. Okay, so that's not that far. That's what? Saturday. Yeah. So, you know, I hate to predict this far out, but I Oh, I think- wait, wait, wait. Sorry. It's confusing. It's tricky. The 20th is Republicans in South Carolina, Democrats oh, okay. in Nevada. The 27th is Democrats in South Carolina. Okay, so we got a while. So we have a good solid week and a half. Lots of things can change in a week and a half. I think that she still she will win. I think it will be comfortable. I don't know what's gonna. I don't. I think Nevada is closer actually. I agree with that. And then on the Republican side, you know, I think Cruz wins. I think Trump is probably second or third. Unless Listen, he... Nate Silver has Trump at eighty two percent winning. Rubio yeah. six, Cruz nine. I think the more the more news time. Trump's um, excessive profanity gets in South Carolina the more <laughs> he goes down. I mean, I really do think that matters in a state like South Carolina. Um, I also think, I mean, I get that we can't ever sound the death knell of Donald Trump. He was really bad in this debate, like worse yeah. than he's been. I mean, it was to the point where I was just tweeting China, you know, because he yeah. just kept going back to this over and over. Um, and then he was really bad on the Sunday shows. I don't know. I hope that people are starting to see that there is no substance behind all this bluster. Yeah. But I guess we'll see. I think Rubio could do pretty well in South Carolina. I think Bush could do pretty well. I don't know how well, and I don't know that it matters. I mean, I was talking to someone I work with about this, and and he said, you know, there's all this conversation about third and fourth, like, Trump and Cruz are ahead, and it's not even close. Like, it's yeah. not even close. So at what point does that cease to matter? And I don't know the answer to that question either. It, it depresses me to think about. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, so we have Ooh. to do our compliments to the other side, which for me is a little bit easier than finding a compliment my own party this week, I think. But <laughs> um, I, I, keeping with the Supreme Court theme, I was really touched by... 
uh, some of the remarks from Justice Ginsburg about Justice Scalia. And I knew that the two of them had a close friendship. Oh, they're pals, man. They were friends. Which I think is fascinating and wonderful. And uh, we'll we'll post in the show notes, Vox had some of her remarks about him. And it's just, it's really lovely and it's nice to see. And, and in its own way, it's quite brave because mm. um, a lot of the people who worship Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> have um, equally violent feelings toward Justice Scalia. Well, I just want to say, let's all let the Supreme Court be an example. I mean, I feel like they really like fancy politics. Like, they clearly understand nuance. They understand that you feel this way. And I think because of, you know, everything, there's no way not to respect these decisions they write. That there's no way not to see, you know, it's not just somebody firing off a Facebook post, obviously. So there's a lot more to respect and try to understand and see where they're coming from and all these things. So, you know, let them all be an example to us. I will, I will say Roberts, I really like the importance that he places on sort of the reputation of the court and the importance of it being sort of above the fray. I hate that he got pulled into the debate because I know how important that is to him, but I really respect that. I think that that's so important. I totally agree with him. And I like that he, like, that is his, clearly, like, his sort of guiding light. And I I have so much respect for that. Well, you know what I think part of it is with the court? They, none of them look at the others with that, you're trying to destroy our country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is a presumption that everyone there has a similar goal of serving the institution that is the court, right? right? It's bigger than any individual. And I think that has a nice lesson for all of us about how we view each other's intentions. Absolutely. So next up in the suit, we're going to talk about why we are the way we are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds loftier than we intended. Sarah, we got this really wonderful uh, Facebook message from Bailey, who is um, approaching this election with a lot of seriousness and really trying to kind of find her own political footing. And she said, I know this is kind of a big question, but I would really love to hear from the two of you why it was you vote so sincere, too. It really was. It was the it- nicest message. But we, I mean, that's just how our listeners are. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's wonderful. So since Bailey was mostly interested, Sarah, in why you are a Democrat, why don't you kind of kick us off? I've been thinking about this ever since she messaged us. um, And I was really trying to go back in time and think about my uh, 180 from in college. And I think what happened for me is when I came to Transy and I took class, you know, I took introduction to political science and I took women's studies and I took all these classes and I felt like the conservative Christian worldview that I had been, um, sort of sold on was incomplete if I'm giving, you know, the benefit of the doubt and really dishonest if I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt. I just felt like you left so much out. 
You left out the fact that people treat me differently because I'm a woman. You left out the fact that there's this whole other aspect. There's, I mean, I went to college and I'd never heard the term third world. That's a problem. And so I just sort of all these perspectives got opened up to me and they were opened up by liberal professors. It was professors that were, you know, sort of dedicated socialist all the way to diehard Democrats. And so I, I kind of dove in and I trusted them and I, wanted to hear what they what they thought the next steps were after you feel like you're sort of opened up to this political consciousness. And so many of my friends at Transy were, well, I don't know, it was a, a pretty even mix. But between the professors and then meeting my husband, who grew up in a very liberal home and is very liberal, and I think um, it just grew from there. And so I, I guess I felt like it was a more authentic view of the world and people suffering and um, sort of the experiences beyond the white upper middle class experience. And that really appealed to me. Um, I've never been in the, under any illusions that the Democratic Party is perfect. But, you know, I remember one time at an Emerge training, they, this girl said that she asked her mom when she was little, um, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? And she said, well, Republicans think uh you're on your own and Democrats think you're, we're in it together. And I think that's clearly oversimplifying things a lot, but that is sort of how I feel. I just, in Kristen's book, what I really was sort of the selfie vote, Kristen Soltis Anderson, who we interviewed a few episodes ago, she talks about that, you know, one of the problems in the, the Republican party is that so many Republicans think like, there's really not a problem and then everybody does have an equal chance and you have to work hard. You just have to work hard. And that, I, I, that part really struck me because I thought, yeah, that is it. And that's always what's bugged me. Cause I don't feel like that. I don't feel like everybody starts at the same place and we all have this equal chance to run the race. Um, I think as I get older parts of the Republican party appeal to me, like I think that it's so important to have these debates. I really am not looking for a time when there's no conservatives to say, hey, can't we dial that back? Or if there's not people around to say, stop, that's too much. Like, I think that's a very important part of the process. But at the end of the day, for me, being a Democrat means, yeah, we're in it together. Let's really assess where everybody's coming from. Who's not getting a fair start? How can we help? Um, because I don't really trust a fair market to work that out. I think that the government a lot of the times has to get involved. And I'm not like, again, I'm under no illusions that that's always works out perfectly because it doesn't. But, um, at the end of the day, I guess, yeah, we're just, I think we're in it together and that's why I'm a Democrat. I feel like I'm in an episode of the West wing. I know. I was just thinking we need some music behind you. We really do. We need (laughs) some soaring violence. Speaking of the West wing. Um, I think it was our listener, Brian, who retweeted somebody saying, uh, about the Supreme court, nomination process coming up that if this cycle were an episode of the West Wing, people would be like, Jesus, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm Which saying. Aaron great. Sorkin or Shonda Rhimes. This is, where this, is, this, this is what this feels like. Well, so my perspective as a Republican is informed by two basic tenets. The first one is I, I think that most problems most problems, not all, but most problems are best solved by people closest to those problems. Mm-hmm. And so 
I, I like viewing the United States as a republic made up of individual states and those states made up of counties and communities. Um, I am not a person who believes as a Republican that all taxes are bad. I'm happy to pay my fair share. I think that my money is best spent in my own community where we understand the needs of the community and where we can impose accountability on the people spending it. That doesn't mean I'm against paying any federal income tax. I want to be really clear about this because I think that the views of the Republican Party have been so distorted by some loud voices that um, are not representative of most of us. So, you know, I'm happy to pitch in. I, I am not anti a social safety net. I am for judicious uses of resources, and I, and I generally believe that resources are best used um, as close to a problem as possible. And the second thing that I believe is that our federal government was intended to be a problem solver of last resort and that our federal government principally exists for the reasons outlined in some of our founding documents. And I'm not a strict uh, constitutionalist or a person who believes the Constitution isn't a living document, but I do think that we tend to... My perspective, my perception of the Democratic Party is often, hey, there's a problem. Let's solve it in Washington. And I can't name a lot of things that I think the federal government does exceptionally well. There are some <laughs> things that it does well. And, I, and you know, I, so I'm, I'm not against that completely. But I but there there are so many failures just because of the size and all of the complicating factors that occur when you're trying to deal with issues on the national level. So um so those are kind of the, the tenets that inform my political beliefs. Now, clearly, I have enormous frustration with where the party is today because I think it's uh, pretty far away from what I just articulated. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I don't understand um, the push towards social conservatism, because if I if I look at problems are best solved closest to those problems, it also takes me to individual liberty. And to me, that doesn't mean that we are not in it together. Far from it. I mean, I, I really think that communities are the fabric of our country and that people working together is important. And and I believe what's freely given by those individuals is going to be most impactful. So that's why I do think charitable giving is often more effective than some of our social welfare programs. I wouldn't abolish those programs, but I would certainly seek to reform them and put more emphasis in the private sector. And that makes me really a libertarian about social issues. I'm, um, I'm not interested in dictating what anyone else's family looks like. Or how people interact with one another. So um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a mixture of a lot of things. <laughs> Over the weekend, I was so frustrated with Mitch McConnell and also with Matt Bevin, who's the governor of Kentucky, uh. who just signed um, some anti-choice legislation in Kentucky. And the women of Kentucky responded in a pretty awesome way. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> but so one of my very good friends from high school, this is a person I just really respect and um, admire, sent me a message that said, hey, any chance we can get you to switch teams yet? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I understand that sentiment. And, and, and I think about it a lot. But, you know, the answer is no, because I don't like what the party is today. But my framework hasn't changed, you know, and and I think, as you said, it's important to have people operating from a conservative framework, just as as it is important to have people operating from a liberal framework. Well, what's so problematic is if if they on a local level were doing what you just said, then I would agree with you if local conservatives in the state's in particular, but even some of the, you know, county government, if it wasn't just all cut taxes, cut programming, end of story, like if it felt like 
if it felt sometimes I think, you know, I don't want people running the government who hate the government. You know, I just feel like if it was what you were saying, if it was, okay, let's really try to solve problems and let's have a, you know, if let's try this, even if it was, let's try to solve problems in the smallest way possible with the least intervention possible, I'd be okay. Let's have that conversation. That's fine with me. And I wouldn't be feel so like, it wouldn't feel so dire to have the federal government stepping in. But, I mean, this is how we got here, right? I mean, you had to have the federal government stepping in in civil rights, and you had to have the federal government stepping in because the state just – that's not what – I feel like that's – they're not listening to what's happening in their community, and they're not doing um, – really solving the problem, really addressing the problem. It's just – it's pandering, and that's the problem. I mean, if if it was what you said, if you if what you just listed was what was really happening in Kentucky – even under a conservative governor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel so, well, goodness gracious, call Barack Obama, get somebody in here to pay attention to this because our rights are being run over. Like, that's just the, that's what's so frustrating. Like, I don't really have a problem with anything you just explained if that's really what it was about, but I just don't feel like that's what's really happening. Yeah. And so similarly, you know, I agree with you about understanding um, that not all people have the same kind of starting point in their journeys and being more aware of other worldviews. And when I look at federal attempts to deal with those problems, you know, I see a lot of legislation, for example, in the employment context that I think is more um, harmful to a lot of people in the workforce than helpful to them. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like there's no perfect you know, from, from either worldview. And that's why I think they have to work together in harmony. Yeah. I will say, you know, I live in a a county that is, um, almost, I mean, it's probably like 95% Republican. It is a very red place on the map. Um, but at a local level, I don't hear a lot of this, like, let's slash everything. I mean, we have super great parks, well-funded libraries. It's a really nice place to live. Um, There are lots of efforts underway to make our county more diverse, and those have been really successful. And, you know, so so I think I am fortunate to live in a place where the model that I believe in plays out pretty well. Not that it's perfect either, but... Um, I, I, I think ultimately we're supposed to have both of these views and lots of versions of both of these views. And if everyone could approach it that way, instead of my team versus your team Mm -hmm. and my team's goal is to eradicate your team, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd be in a better place. So Bailey, I I don't know if we're being very helpful to you or not. (laughs) You can just join, you can join the pantsuit politics party. Because that's, oh, that's really right. the best party. Well, you it's have tr- to wonder if that's kind of where things are going. You know, yeah. I, I, we, you know, you know, I love the phrase postpartisan because I do think at some point, um, this this framework is crashing down around us. Well, and especially you know when I listen, uh, listening to our own podcast and l- watching the way our listeners interact and the way people are like, I've said this before, thirsty people in the desert, just like, oh my god, thank you for being reasonable. Like, it just really is important to have both sides represented. I really, truly believe that. I think that if you had all Democrats in certain situations, things could go awry. <laughs> the same way that if you had just Republicans, things go awry. And so, but this, the idea that the, the partisan rancor, the Mitch McConnell saying that only, our only job is to get rid of Barack Obama. And I, and I will say this. I do feel like that's stronger on the Republican side right now. And then maybe we just, I I was very opposed to George Bush, but I don't remember the, well, let's just burn it to the ground sentiment among the democratic party. I just didn't, it didn't feel like that. It felt like, 
Let's just keep trying. Let's just keep trying. <laughs> we'll win a presidency. And so that really, really bothers me. Um, but I still couldn't agree more that I think both sides have to be represented. Both well, reasonable sides when they're playing nice together, I guess, is what we should say. Yeah, and I feel obligated to say that, you know, the characterizations by Democrats of Republicans as stupid and mm-hmm. racist and homophobic. I mean, I find all that really frustrating and upsetting, too. And it's just... It, it's just not where we need to be. Like, the point of all of this is not for anybody to win something. It's to mm-hmm. move the country forward. And um, I, I feel encouraged. Do you feel like, though, it was that republic, the, the um, really the movement towards social conservatism that sort of made it this this epic spiritual battle? Do you feel like that's where that sort of started or at no. least got worse? I think that I feel that because of my age. But I think that if I really dove into history more, you know, we would see ebb and flow of that over time. But I think because of my age and the media environment, yeah, I think that's part of the problem for sure. Yeah. So that's the other thing, you know, none of this exists in a vacuum. And 30 years ago, would I have been a Democrat or Republican? I don't know. It's all, it's all very different. And, you know, I struggle to stay with the party today because of, um, some of the voices in it, but, but I believe in the principles that I articulated and I don't see those at work in the Democratic party. And ultimately I just don't care, right? I'm going to vote for the people that I think are going to do the best job and the ideas that I think are most important. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we hope that answered your question. We're still a little stopped up, so <laughs> we don't know how clear we sounded or how clear our ideas were. But <laughs> this episode of Fancy Politics is sponsored by Dayquil. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> it feels that way. In the next segment, when the heels, we're going to talk about what women in political media inspire us. Oh my gosh, Sarah, have you seen Full Frontal with Samantha No, Bee? I can't get it on my stupid Roku. I've got to find a place to watch it. But I've like, I keep trying, thinking it's going to show up one day, because I just keep thinking about your tweet, talking about how good it was, and I love Samantha B. and so I keep trying. Anyone listening that is involved with Roku, please figure out a way that I can watch Samantha B. on Roku, because I don't have cable, man. Samantha B. is so smart, oh, and she- so funny, And I think this is one of those things where, you know, often you don't know what you've been missing until you see it. And to see a woman do a late night show in this way is so good. And it's just once a week, right? It's just once a week. Is it very like John Oliver kind of set up? No, it's, it is more like The Daily Show. Okay. um, But it's still her own twist. It's so much better than The Daily Show. I'm sorry, tr- sorry, Trevor Noah. It's like, not good he, anymore. He seems like a lovely person, but it is yeah. not good anymore. No. She's so good. It's very different than John Oliver's humor. Because my husband and I had a little debate after the first episode. I was like, that's way better than John Oliver even. And he was like, no, no, no. They're just different. They're very different. But, you know, <laughs> so that could be. But it's really, really funny. It's Every line is so beautifully written. There are no throwaways. None. Oh, wow. So it's it's really great. On a more serious note, I was also excited to see this piece from Elle about um, the women of NBC News who are out on the trail. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. 
It was awesome. And I have been noticing it. You know, Casey Hunt, I tweeted about this, like, this poor woman, I don't think she ever gets to sleep. She is <laughs> on the television every time I turn it on. Um, but Andrew Mitchell and Chris Jansing, it's just really great when they do the box, you know, where they're showing people all over the place to see a screen full of women yeah. who are really, really good at what they do. Well, and uh, uh, this, you said this earlier, but the, the Democratic debate where it was the majority of women with Gwen and Judy and Hillary. I mean, I love Gwen Ivo. I'm such a fan of hers. It's just it's a nice time. And I hope that it gets to be where we don't notice these things. You know, it just is. Well, but, but it, it's so important to Rebecca Traster wrote this a fantastic book called Big Girls Don't Cry about the 2008 election. And I was thinking about this today and she talked about how important it was that Katie Couric was the first woman and a news desk. And she was the one that could really ask Sarah Palin these questions. And it is sort of, def- she could ask them in a way as a woman and diffuse a situation. Whereas, you know, when anybody else, when the men asked her, they just sounded like they were harassing her. But Katie Couric could really say like, no, really, what newspapers do you read? No, tell us. And the way that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were the first head writers, at, female writers at Saturday Night for, Tina Fey was the first head female writer at Saturday Night Live. And they were there to really get to the core of why, there's, it's problematic that you say Hillary has cankles and that you say Sarah Palin is sexy. Like, just, it's important to have women in these situations. They notice things that men don't, and they can point out things that men don't. And that is really important, especially in a cycle where there's a female candidate. I think Adrienne Mitchell particularly just gets better every day. You know, she just, I, I think she's super insightful, a total class act. Um, I like seeing her feel more empowered to add opinion, you know, yeah. in her reporting. So it's it's just really, it's inspiring. It really is inspiring. And um, uh, there's a lot going on in this cycle that's not inspiring. So Shoot. hooray for a moment that is. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode and sticking with us through our sad, sad colds. We must have got them from Bernie and Hillary via the the television. I'm telling you, it's the stress. It's the it stress is. of this And the late thing. nights. Move those debates up, man. We, we need do our need sleep. to get some We're sleep. all old. So, again, thanks for joining us. Th- um, please, if you have a chance, sign up for our email list. We have a new website, paintsupoliticsshow.com, where you can become a supporter of the show. We have it set up where you can, you know, just share a cup of coffee, like $5 a month. And help us cover the cost of the podcast and um, help us expand. We're hoping to have t-shirts soon. Um, And we have a huge, huge thank yous that we're going to give out on next Friday's briefcase to people who have already donated. So thanks, and um, we really appreciate it, guys. So you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. As always, Facebook, we're Pantsuit Politics. Twitter, we're at Pantsuit Politic, no S. And until Friday's episode, do your best. Keep it nuanced, (laughs) y'all. (laughs) 